This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.08 and you're listening to Lynn and Sherrod. Um, first up today, we're looking at a report from Malaysia Kini about the babies of stateless women reportedly being taken away without consent and given to waiting adoptive parents. So this was reported on Friday and um, specifically naming the NICU, that's the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit Ward of Lahat Datu Hospital in Sabah. And the report on Malaysia Kini actually focuses on or, or uses the story of one mother, a Bajau Laut woman named Aima, who lost custody of her child at that hospital, having given birth prematurely at home um, and subsequently bringing the baby to the hospital and being told that she couldn't stay um, while the baby was in the NICU. She had six other children at home, so she went home to care for them. And when she came back, she was told that, well, you abandoned the baby um, and therefore we have now, you know, given the baby up for adoption. So this is being used as a jumping off point, I think, to talk about the larger problem of how of the of living as a stateless person in Malaysia, but also the particularities of being a stateless mother. Um, and this is part of a series of reporting they're doing on the subject. Yeah, so, you know, kudos to Majikini um, for doing this because it also has had quite Quite a bit of impact. You see the the number of uh, people in power having to re, you know respond to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see so from statements coming out uh, recently from uh, former ministers as well as the, you know the current minister uh, of health. And so th- that's just one aspect of it. I think which is uh, in- incredibly uh, important to note. The other thing is. Uh, how many of us here on the peninsula in the Klang Valley even know who the Bajalao are as a people and what the peculiarities of their circumstance, the way they live, uh, you know, that has led to them becoming stateless? Because as we know, there are many reasons why people become stateless. This is, uh, and their situation is, I think, just one of them. So, It's important to say, I think, that the director of the Sabah State Health Department, JKNS, did say they instructed for an immediate investigation. They found that there are no such cases and that um, they have said they're going to conduct their own probe into all claims, reports or complaints received. The health minister, however, uh, Dr. Zaleha Mustafa, did tell the Dewan Rakyat that the health ministry are going to further investigate the police report that has been made by the health department in order to, you know, really understand what's happening here. So when you say, Sharat, that people have been talking about it, indeed, there have been numerous statements that have been issued. Uh, so we're going to be hearing very shortly from a senior journalist from Malaysia Kini who actually wrote the story, Esvinota. In the meantime, though, let us know, are you sympathetic towards stateless persons? Uh, you can call 7733-2900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Billions from me. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.12 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sherrod. We're talking today about a Malaysia Kini report of um, babies, infants of stateless women being taken away without their mother's consent and given to waiting adoptive parents. This was uh, reportedly happening at the NICU ward of Lahat Datu Hospital. And we are asking you, are you sympathetic towards the experience of stateless persons? Because this series of reports aims to look at exactly that. Uh, Joining us now, though, 
to discuss this is S. Vinota, a senior journalist from Malaysia Kini uh, and the person who wrote the story. Vino, thank you for speaking with us. Uh, so on this point, uh, first off, what led you to the story? Um, concerned parties had raised um, significant concerns about the inadequate and at times hostile treatment of stateless individuals at Lahada to Hospital, um, hindering their access to proper medical care. Um, so my editor, Aidila Razak, and I were keen to investigate this issue um, uh, further. And Malaysia Kini you know, is, is a news portal that allows editors and journalists full freedom. So we had um, decided very quickly and the trip was planned. Um, since Aima had experienced um, taking villages to the hospital, I was speaking to her uh, through an interpreter and um, she was one of the first people that I spoke to. Um, that's how I found out um, that she too had suffered a, a tremendous loss. Um, she lost her baby. Uh, at first, I thought her baby had it perished, but then you know, her, her story turned out to be something else. And then I noticed a, a pattern. Only then, other, you know, the other two women, we found out about the other two women, and for them, uh, they didn't actually lose their babies. Uh, they were near misses, so to speak. Uh, uh, what struck me to my core was when uh, one interviewee told me that the adoptive mothers were already in the NICU caring for the babies while the birth mothers were, you know, standing at the door, not permitted, in Ima's case, you know, not standing at the door, not permitted to enter. And, and that was truly heart-wrenching. And with Aima and most uh, Bajalao women, Oh, you know, most of the Bajalao community, not all of them are very fluent in Bahasa Malaysia. So even if she's crying, you know, nobody knows why she's crying or, you know, if anyone wanted to help her. I mean, of course, the general perception is that, you know, they've been living in Malaysia for such a long time. Why don't they, you know, why can't, that's, that's, what, that's the general answer you get back from, you know, anybody, you know, why can't they speak Bahasa Malaysia by now? But they're shunned. They... You know, they, they keep to themselves because they're afraid of being arrested. They don't have education. They hardly have any interaction with Malaysians. So, um, yeah, so she was crying and it's it's difficult for her to even raise her uh, issue. Yeah, so you in your report, you use the story of Aima uh, to illustrate how babies are separated from their mothers. Could you talk to us more about what happened to her? Every Bajalao would have some kind of story to tell. Their hardship is beyond uh, any anything any one of us can even bear. You know, um, every move they make, uh, everything they do, they do so knowing that you know they are shunned, uh, knowing that they have no voice. Uh, um, as we reported in in the baby, you know, the baby snatching story in uh, Kini News Labs. Um, Aima uh, kept saying that she wanted her baby back. Um, it was very actually difficult to go through an interview with her. She found it difficult to even speak about it. She had a premature delivery, so she had to go to the hospital. And her baby stayed in the NICU longer. She recovered quickly and her baby stayed in the NICU longer. But because the NICU, you know, the mothers are, you can't stay with the baby. 
um, she was asked to go home. And also she had six other children to care for. So she couldn't really stay in the NICU with that one baby. And her husband had already been detained uh, by the immigration. So it was just her and her six children that she had to care for. So coming back and visiting her baby on a daily basis or, you know, it was difficult because they they live on a day-to-day basis. They beg for today's meal and then, you know, the next day and she has so many children to care for and little toddlers. So she might have been absent for a long period of time, but, you know, she's not lost or, you know, cannot be detected. Yeah. So even now, you know, she's still in Kampong Panji if, uh, and they they have uh, if they have a handphone they share a handphone among themselves so if you're looking for Aima you call a particular number which might be her designated number and someone will get her for Can you talk to us about the other incidents that you reported on though? What are some of the common factors? Are there particular patterns you picked up in terms of how this happens and, and who it happens to? Um, now that the Health State Department uh, Dr. Asit's Sana has filed a police report. I, I, I can't delve in all the details, but uh, what was common was that the mothers are stateless. Um, after the story was published, however, uh, Dr. Hartini Zainuddin, who is the founder of Yayasan Chowkid, um, she told us uh, that such cases are not unique in Sabah or to, to the stateless, as we have reported her findings. But because uh, I had access to just one community, the three cases I reported uh, were on Bajala women. Um, I don't know if this is happening to other marginalized other marginalized communities, but many don't even know the regulations or even uh, something as simple as the SOP to refer to um, to see if they are being wronged. Um, the lack of transparency is um, how the public uh, take it advantage of. Um, Dr. Harthini uh, told us about how you know Malaysian women uh, also you know experiencing the same thing. Um, in the cases that I reported on, the adoptive mothers uh, they were already in the NICU caring for the baby while the birth mother was crying. So um, in these in the Two cases, two of the three cases, it was uh, only when the village head said, Saya kan tuntut, you know, I will make a claim to, to claim the baby's back. Uh, then the officers had backed off and allowed the, the mothers to take their babies home. Otherwise, they would have uh, had, you know, experienced the same fate as I'm not. Um, how terrified they must have been, you know, I, 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 I don't know. You know, you can't really imagine, you know, almost nearly losing your baby just because they are invisible and you know non-existent by our laws it doesn't mean that they're not human beings now the Sabah health department has said that it's investigated these claims and there's no such cases how would you respond to this and what access does the public have to the details of the health department's investigations uh Kini published the article on friday and by saturday they had completed their investigation so, but to be fair, I did send them a set of questions well, well in advance. Um, so they knew what was going to be published, but they declined to, you know, they had never responded to us or uh, to any of the questions that we, we sent them. So perhaps they did, I uh, you know, have enough time to investigate thoroughly. But 
unless they share their findings, um, we will never know, you know, what was investigated, who were questioned, or, you know, to what extent the investigation went. Um, did they speak to just the hospital director or did they speak to the staff as well? We will never know. This goes back to the total lack of transparency and accountability. So ideally, you know, what sort of action would you like to see from the authorities? A, a thorough, transparent investigation into these allegations must be done. Um, please do it, you know, get it done. Um, and, uh, and the people calling the shots must be held accountable for their actions. Those people who were actually, you know, behind the scenes calling the shots. Um, if there are other cases, please find them. And until the children, you know, a, you know, at least unite the children um, with their rightful parents, or whether they want, uh, you know, to take back custody is should be left up to the to the parents. There needs to be a fact-finding mission that can also provide recommendations to SOPs and the public need to be made aware of these SOPs, not just, uh, you know, to publish them on the internet because not many people in Sabah have internet. Okay? So don't ask, um, don't ask me for suggestions, you know, what can be done or what, uh, how do we publish uh, SOPs or who do we show the SOPs to. You know, the, the ministry should be able to know by now you know, how to make people informed. If the women's ministry is really interested in the welfare of mothers, please think of ways to share your procedures with them. Taking a baby away from a mother is, you know, if the circumstances don't genuinely warrant it, it's a, it's a crime against humanity. So please take this seriously. To know that why are stateless women particularly vulnerable in this circumstance? And, and you know, are, are there elements in this case that are unique to Sabah? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it turns out that these instances are not unique to, to that Sabah hospital. Uh, Dato Dr. Hartini Zainuddin, who is the founder from, of uh, Yayasan Chowkit, she shared with us in an article that um, the same thing is happening in West Malaysia and to Malaysian citizens. According to her, uh, in most cases, uh, they were women who were young, under 20, uh, and poor. So it's really about um, women losing their babies or is or the poor and marginalized, marginalized losing their rights, um, be it, you know their, their right to custody or their own to, to their own baby or the right whether you know it's their right to the freedoms guaranteed them in our federal constitution why is it that you know we have to ask it, it raises disconcerting questions uh, of why uh, as citizens must we must implore for the government to restore you know rights that should inherently belong to us so the article also mentioned that Aima had previously fought for the medical rights of her fellow stateless uh, Bajau Laut people at the hospital and that this might have led to her being targeted can you tell us more about that this is what Aima believes, uh, because everyone in the hospital knows Aima and who she is. She's the she's the one who brings other Bajalao people to the hospital seeking medical care. Uh, mind you, uh, Bajalao don't run to the hospital with the slightest cough or cold. They wait wait it out, tolerate the pain until it's intolerable. Tahan je sampai you know tak boleh tahan. They don't even um, 
and they don't even know what is wrong with them. They they don't know if they are on the verge of death because there is no prognosis. So they they just tahan sakit. Some of them have perished because it's too late um, to do anything. They're on on the ground, the stateless are considered foreigners. Several circumstances circulars uh, by the ministry uh, empower the hospital's revenue department to seek uh, cooperation from the ward staff to do everything in their power to recover payments. So payment it, because to avoid these payments, um, these hefty payments, they wait uh, until it becomes really critical and then they, so then they will have access to the emergency ward where they don't have to pay that initial payment of 120 ringgit. Uh, and they have to pay 120 ringgit every every time they go, every visit, every time they go to the hospital, they have to pay every, you know, 120 ringgit. There was another case that was also, we've also reported about um, a 16-year-old mother who committed murder-suicide. Um, she's also from one of the villages there, uh, the Bajalao village, but she's from Kampung Ai. So her uh, village head had said that following her tragedy, you know, fewer people from that community go to the hospital. Uh, you know, they, they, they wait. They don't want to go to the hospital. They just want to wait because they don't feel comfortable uh, going to the hospital. It's always an argument or a fight or, you know, the way they are treated, they are spoken down to. They are scolded, so they just don't want, they, they put it off. They just keep putting it off, going to the hospital. Vino, will you continue following the story? What are some next steps that Aima is considering? Yes, I'm definitely uh, following the story, following up with what's Aima's case, what's happening with Aima's case. But um, Aima wants her baby back. That's, uh, you know, that's all she can tell me. She's quite clear but um what you know what are her options the the women family and community development ministry that the three uh nancy shukri said even if a mother was absent for three months this was an example that she gave us here even if a mother was uh, absent for three months and a court order was obtained to take custody of the baby when the mother returns and she wants her baby they have to cancel um, the court order and return the baby back to the mother, provided, of course, the you know the the mother can prove that she, the baby is hers. So yeah, so since the case is being investigated, uh, from what Aima has uh, uh, told us, this is uh, this is not how you know how it transpired. It, it wasn't you know she was standing there for you know and asking for her baby back, but she never got it got her baby back. But uh, to go back, uh, I, I must, the, the hospital itself has case notes, which documents all the cases, e- even um, the babies, even if the baby was a stateless baby. So um, if there's any complaint, like they can actually check with the hospital if the baby was there and the baby would have been recorded as Ima's baby. So Ima's name would have been on the record as well. They have case notes in the hospital. Um, but the minister said that, you know, whoever who wants to file a complaint of wrongdoing or anything like that, you still need a police report. So a person like Aima, um, she can't go to the police station because she's stateless. So she doesn't want to get arrested. She fears arrest. And if she gets goes to the police station to make a police report, to claim her baby back um, or, you know, to at least just 
get any chance of claiming her baby back. Um, and she gets arrested. Who's going to take care of her six children? Because her husband was in detention center. So it was just so bleak. You know, she had no, she had no options. Vino, thank you for speaking with us today. That was S. Vinota, senior journalist from Malaysia Kini, uh, discussing a report that is part of a series of articles that Malaysia Kini is releasing on statelessness, with this one focusing on the babies of stateless women reportedly being taken away without their mother's consent and given to adoptive parents. Let us know, are you sympathetic towards stateless persons? You can call, you can send us a voice note or WhatsApp and tweet us at BFM Radio. Beyond Frivolous Mishmash. BFM 89.9. It is 5.39 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sherrod. And we started off our show today with what's actually quite a sad story. And this is because Malaysia Kini is doing a series of articles, a series of reports on the experience of statelessness in the country. And one of the things they started off with was um, that... Is, is an article that alleges that the babies of stateless women are being taken away without consent and given to waiting adoptive parents, that these mothers are then deemed unfit. Um, there were reports of three cases, with one in particular being the focus of the article. And so we were asking you, are you sympathetic towards stateless persons? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at BFM Radio. Let's start off with this from Jessica, who says. They should be taught family planning. Why have so many children when they're in the state? Even we citizens just plan to have no more than two so that we can bring them up with better food and education and so on. It's very expensive to have too many. Yeah, I think Jessica probably speaks from uh, the context of, you know, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, Jessica, you, uh, from this kind of Kalang Valley-centered world, right, where there's certain things that you've come to expect. Everything that you say here on, on face value is could be reasonable, right? Family planning is not a bad idea, right? Uh, but the question is, as we learned, stateless people can't even go to a police station to make a report that their baby has been taken away, right? So if those basic assumptions we make about being empowered as a citizen to access uh, education or, you know, justice can't, doesn't hold in a place like Ladatu. How do we impose these expectations on people like uh, the mother who lost her child? Aima, yes. Uh, I think that, Jessica, what interests me is your point about better food and better education. And a part of this is, um, I guess, to extend your point, Sherrod, it's just worth considering that even access to something like education for a stateless child is no straightforward thing. And so before we talk about better, we need to talk about can, you know, can or cannot. And and I, I don't want to get into the question of who should be allowed to have children or who shouldn't, because that way lies... Um, just historically, that's not a good path <laughs> to, to walk down. Um, it's a goose-stepping path. It's a goose-stepping path indeed. And so I, I hear you. I, I think in general, the notion of family planning is good. But where we go with it is quite another thing. Um, TIDJ says, I sympathize with stateless people. It is through no fault of their own that they're stateless, but the unnecessary red tape to get uh, patriotized. Yeah, so, you know, there is, in fact, some really interesting documentation about the the history of the Bajalao. People are an ancient community, right, who lived on the seas. It is modern structures that have become, have come to bedevil their lives. So the question is, um, you know, uh, empathy 
understanding of the circumstances that lead people into this bureaucratic limbo, which is essentially what we're talking about, right? You be a, you're stateless, not because you're not a human being. Your statelessness is purely a bureaucratic problem, not one, not an existential one. Well, and it's also, again, worth remembering that we are, Malaysia is not the peninsula, uh, and specifically Malaysia is not the Klang Valley. And so it's something that our guest Vino actually mentioned, that when we think of stateless, it's very easy to leap to foreigner. Um, that in and of itself is, is a whole other thing, but it is very easy to assume that what we're talking about are, are foreign people, when clearly that's not the case. And it's just something worth keeping in mind. Alvin says, truly heartbreaking, daylight robbery, criminal. It's like not allowing them to breathe out air just because they're stateless. No one's right to do this. Inhumane is the best way to describe it. It's shocking that it's happening in the 21st century, no less. Uh, this shouldn't even be discussed because no one should have their newborn stolen. Yeah, I mean, the if the, the basic sense of um, the injustice of this whole situation doesn't strike you, uh, you know, first, as um, you know, emotionally and I think intellectually, uh, you know, I think one needs to really kind of examine oneself. Because I think what this story really does is to not to deal with the legalities of the issue, you know, but in fact to tell you that in some sense this is about natural justice, right? A biological mother shouldn't be separated from her child unless they're compelling circumstances uh, or if somebody is so disempowered that something as basic as holding on to your children becomes impossible, um, something is deeply wrong with the way we are governed. I I think at this point, I'd just like to mention that this stemmed from a Malaysia Kini News Lab report and that when you read the story, it's one thing. Um, it, it, is, it is heartbreaking and it is very evocative. But I think despite that, having read the story, having looked at the interactive piece, I still wasn't really prepared for the, the depth of the issue that Vino discussed earlier and how that disempowerment runs so deep. I, I did not expect to hear that, despite the fact that I think intellectually I knew it. Yeah, you know, it's like watching one of those movies where, I don't know, you know, the, the, the protagonist suddenly finds themselves in this kind of Kafka-esque situation where they, they really, I mean, the, it's pure power play, right, by the actors. And, you, and the person is uh, unable to even launch something as simple as or do something as simple as see their child uh, this kind of thing you know I, I think the the question again is about empathy can we enter into the experience of people whose lives are so radically different from ours who do in fact exist in the space we call Malaysia and uh, and in what would what do reports like this uh demand of us, I think, as human beings. Uh, we also have uh, this from Ravi, who says, we know how it ends up, the denial and that no such thing happened. I'm amazed at the speed of response when, it, when they haven't even done a thorough investigation. I wish police investigations could be solved at this breakneck speed. Now, um, I, I, I just want to say that we cannot say for certain that a thorough investigation was not in fact, conducted. Um, but, Ravi, to your point, the speed is something. <laughs> you know, the, the speed with which there was a, there's no such thing, nothing has ever happened like this, that being issued so quickly was something. Yeah. So, but but today, right, bureaucracies are, be, 
um, have to contend with social media. They have to contend with the fact that uh, even in this case, the media, traditional media, Mejikini <laughs> has become, is able to in, uh, elicit a response from high authority. So even at the local level, they might not be interested to go further. Somebody above them exists who might, in fact, push this uh, story forward and get to the heart of the issue. We have a couple of um, points actually responding to family planning, the issue of family planning. Let's start with a voice note from Uma. Yeah, I mean, um, I would like to just respond to one of the listeners who um, said, you know, they should be on contraception and have less kids. Um, we have to understand um, how the rural setting is. Um, these women are basically very, very hardcore poor. They have no access to health care. They are mostly uneducated. You know, for them to actually even reach out to contraception, I don't think they even know what that means, you know. So that that is where the root of the problem is. Um, so yes, it would be good, you know, if, if they can be educated on contraception, but um, it is going to be a lot of hard work and we have to start from, from the basics. Uh, and similarly, so that was Uma. We also have Tash who says, that comment about family planning comes from a point of privilege and pardon my French, the Bangsa bubble. Even here in the Klang Valley, we have urban poor communities who can't afford family planning or lack the necessary knowledge when it comes to it. Issues of statelessness should not be an, should not be, uh, an issue anywhere in Malaysia, but here we are in 2023 dealing with this injustice. How can we help? How can we collectively make a change? We are already so divided from our friends in Sabah and Sarawak. This issue just makes the contrast even more glaring and so far removed from the reality we so comfortably live in. Yeah, so, you know, absolutely. I think you're spot on about some of the the privilege that underscores some of the sentiments that are coming out of this. Uh, but as a response to the story, you know, this is not a story about how to make children's lives better. This is about how a mother uh, has allegedly had her, ch her child stolen from her. That really is the, the point at which I think the focus ought to be. Keep those thoughts coming. Um, we want to know, are you sympathetic towards stateless persons? This is coming from one article in a series of reports on Malaysia Kini about statelessness. Um, this article in particular looked at the experience of stateless women having their babies reportedly taken away from them um, and given to adoptive parents. So that number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Bias Free Media, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, it's 5.53. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sherrod. And we're talking today about statelessness. Um, and this is because there is a series of reports running on Malaysia Kini, um, one on News Lab in particular, that talked about the experience of stateless women having their babies reportedly taken away from them in hospital. And we were asking you, are you sympathetic to a stateless persons? What are your thoughts? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Before we get to the voice notes, we have a couple of messages saying the same thing. Shamil says, it's an unpopular opinion. Um, I sympathise with the parents, but I'm 
quote-unquote happy, if that's the right word, for the kids. It's a better future. Um, he or she will be issued citizenship. Uh, they'll be able to move forward. Uh, Frankie also says, um, you know, it's an opportunity for the child to have a better future, opportunity to be a certified Malaysian in comparison to a life if stayed with the biological parents. Yeah, so, yeah, and I don't know if it's unpopular, Shamil. I think, in fact, it might be quite popular, but I think it's a deeply problematic uh, proposition because um, the the issue here is if you're truly concerned about children, then you would redesign the way the bureaucracy works so that children that are actually born into the world don't have to make a op- uh, choice between their biological parents on one hand and a full life, right? So you could have both. Why shouldn't that child have both? You know, if you're truly concerned about children, I mean, I know we're talking about this in the abstract, but, you know, uh, both I think Frankie and you kind of deal with this in a in a slightly um, intellectual kind of experiment. I mean, it's like a mind that, that if they had uh, adopted by better parents, yeah. they get they get these uh, res- uh, rights. But I don't see why we can't have both. Ideally, we should be having both. It yeah. shouldn't be that hard. Yeah, you I think. shouldn't have to be separated from your biological parents in order to have access to school. Um, and then we're also a step away from talking about things like poor people. Yeah. And, and you know, and then you can extend that argument in every which way, and it gets. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't mind if I was like adopted by Elon Musk, for instance. Would wouldn't you? No, I feel you would. would. I, I, I think uh, okay. my parents much better. Uh, we have a voice note actually that came in. This is Shazwan. Hi guys, just sharing an experience because uh, about ten years ago, I actually worked uh, going everywhere in Sabah. I actually, I go when I go to Tawau. Uh, I asked my colleague that why there's a uh, school actually at the shop lot area. Why why don't they go to the sekolah uh, kebangsaan? You know, uh, because I can see that one school is established at the shop lot area. So uh, my my colleague said that this this is a, a school for a stateless uh, children where they did not actually a Malaysian citizen and they are not actually other other citizens as well. So this actually has been uh, going on for a while already. But uh, just checking, doesn't we also have that type of situation here? Uh, it's not saying stateless, but we do have some uh, foreigners staying in some part of Kuala Lumpur. But <coughs> this has been well handled. Why in in the in the at the rural area area we have this kind of situation, but it's not well managed. So going back to the uh, first issue, uh, to going back to the basic question is, does this uh, issue happen because lack of uh, governance or lack of uh, uh, monitored by the uh, by the certain certain government's body? Or is it actually something that has been going on for some while and it should be seen as a big thing because it's involved a person uh, future, you know? Absolutely, Shazwan. And, you know, uh, beyond involving someone's future, it involves somebody's family right now, right? Like, like what's happening in the moment. Uh, we've also got a voice note that came in from Roberto. I do sympathise with around the world stateless people because just like Sharad pointed out, it's exactly that. It's bureaucracy and many times, in many occasions, it's politically. 
you know what I mean? It's just uh, politicians doing what they think that they need to gain votes to the majority of the people or citizenry in their own respective countries. By all means, stateless people are still human and they deserve to have certain level of services. Basic needs to be covered. They cannot be treated just like that. I mean, when you have a stateless person, that means that that individual, that human, does not have any country to go. You understand? It's, it, there's no passport. There's no identity card that can be offered. So what are we going to do with them? Just let them die because they cannot afford to get food, do not to get, afford to get education. Their stories are really, really tragic. I mean... I really do sympathize with them. Roberto, thank you so much. Um, and thank you, everybody, for getting in touch. We, we do have more messages and voice notes coming in that, unfortunately, we do not have time for. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.